1: is when this man was born, and he lived for 98 years, spent 40 of those 98 years building up. After developing, he then built up the world's most profitable company, the world's most profitable company, not just in the United States, but on the entire planet, making him, John D. Rockefeller, the richest person on the planet. He was a philanthropist, gave away a lot of money. Now, people have given him a bad rap because he was the founder of Standard Oil. But he also dedicated his entire life to making money and helping people out. You might not realize that. Well, they asked John D. Rockefeller one time how much money was enough And He answered, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I think that's an important question for you to ask and answer for yourself. How much money is enough? But I think an even more important question is, how much money is dangerous? How much money is dangerous? Look with me in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, as we go through our Father's Word, The beauty of preaching through an entire book of the Bible is that it prevents me, prevents us from skipping over portions of Scripture, prevents us from just dealing with the simple passages, and forces us to deal with those that make us wrestle with ourselves and wrestle with God. And this is one of those passages. Luke 18, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, "'Why do you call me good?' "'No one is good except God alone. "'You know the commandments. "'Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, "'do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother.' "'And he,' the ruler said, "'All these I've kept from my youth.' "'When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "'One thing you still lack. "'Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, "'and you'll have treasure.'" Into heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God! For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he, Jesus, said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. How much money is enough. How much money is dangerous? I love the way Peter responds in this passage, and you should too, because it teaches us a thing or two about the ongoing pursuit of a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter teaches us that we are to leave, follow, and repeat. Leave, follow, and repeat. Let's say that together nice and loud. Leave, follow, And repeat. Now, I caught you off guard there. Let's say it all together, nice and loud. Leave, follow, repeat. That's the call of a disciple. And Peter's response teaches us exactly that. Look with me. Verse 26: Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Jesus said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. An idea, understanding that salvation is a supernatural act that God performs on behalf of an individual. Salvation is a supernatural act that God performs on behalf of an individual. It's not possible to save yourself. In fact, it is impossible to save yourself. Only God makes it possible for someone to receive eternal life. But there are characteristics, there are traits that reflect whether or not a supernatural act has indeed happened in a person. Whether or not somebody really is saved, there is an issue of fruit-bearing, somebody's actions being in keeping with their profession. I'm not talking about their career profession, their profession with their mouth, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Now, look at Peter's response here. Verse 28, Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. Peter's probably reflecting on Matthew chapter 4, where it's recorded where Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter and the other apostles, the ones who became apostles, left their nets, left everything and followed Jesus. See, leave, follow. And here Peter is being reminded of that third component, the necessity The characteristic trait of somebody who's really a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who's really left the world, somebody who's really following Jesus has to continually reaffirm that leaving and that following. Peter says, we've left everything for you. Wait a second here. You're telling this rich guy he's got to sell everything, give to the poor. And people are saying, who can be saved? And you're saying, with man it's impossible, only with God is it possible. Lord, we've left everything for you. Peter is remembering that initial moment when he left his career, when he left his livelihood, that first moment when the lights went on, somebody was home. The lights went on for Peter, and he recognized this is the Messiah. Now, granted, he didn't understand the fullness of what that meant, but it was unfolding year after year, week after week. Moment by moment, Peter got a deeper and fuller understanding of who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and that's what should be happening in your life That's what's happening in my life. That's what's happening in the life of anyone who's truly given their life to Jesus Christ. You have an initial moment where you leave the cares of the world. You leave selfishness and selfish ambition. And Some of you know you're raising your hand and saying amen and you're nodding your heads, right? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. That initial moment when you leave everything and Peter, he left his fishing business. He left his livelihood. In fact, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers, not of fish. I'll make you fishers of men. And now this is Luke 18, quite a while after that initial departure, that initial following. And Peter is helping us remember that important trait of a true follower of Jesus Christ. We are to leave, follow, and repeat. Leave, follow, and repeat. We leave the cares of the world. We leave our own selfish ambitions behind. We leave the lifestyle that we would have otherwise been living. We follow Jesus, which replaces that lifestyle. It replaces all of the reasons that we were living for prior to that, and Jesus becomes the center of our entire life. We leave, we follow, but then we must repeat It's a worthy pursuit. Leave, follow, repeat. Leave, follow, repeat. And Peter is being reminded of this again and again. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I know that you've left everything. I know that you're following me. And you won't be neglected by your heavenly Father. Look at what he says. In Luke 18, 29, he said to them, Jesus, truly, that passionate word, that Jesus inserts when he really wants to drive something home, everything that Jesus says is worthy of listening to. Amen? But here in particular, he's saying, truly, don't lose sight of this especially. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life, but you really have to leave and you really have to follow, and you really have to repeat, because haven't you realized what I've realized? I need to be reminded of the same things again, and 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 again, repeatedly. Yes, there was that initial moment, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when for the very first time, you realize that Jesus rose from the dead, Yes, there was a time when you first gave your life to Christ when you realized that your sins were placed on Jesus on that cross and that Jesus died in your place. Yes, there was that initial time of surrender where you gave your life to Jesus Christ and said, no longer am I going to do my own thing in my own ways, and my own power. I'm now going to follow Jesus. And I give you all my sins and I give you all my future and all of my hopes, my whole livelihood, everything that I have, I give it to you. I leave, I follow. But a disciple repeats that again and again and again. It's the same thing, different day, with new experiences, with new triumphs, with new victories. It's a beautiful walk. It's designed to be a relationship where we are saying no to where we otherwise would go if we didn't follow Jesus. And we tread into new territory, uncharted territory, advancing the only kingdom that will endure forever for the only living and true God, Jesus Christ. That's the way it works. But notice what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. See, what Jesus is teaching here to the the ruler. We know that he's young because the other gospels help us understand that he was not only rich, but he was a young ruler. And with that youngness, with that youthful age that he was, he also had a naivety and a bit of arrogance about him. How do we know that he was a bit naive and a bit arrogant? Because he might have been a ruler and he might have been very rich, but look at his interaction with Jesus. Verse 20, Jesus refers to Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments, where they're clearly listed. Jesus is not exhaustive here, but it's a nod to them. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And here's the naivety and the arrogance coming out of the rich young ruler's mouth. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Really? All of these you've kept from your youth? Jesus said if a man even looks at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have missed God's standard. Now, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, could make it their ambition to follow the Word of God, and that's a noble, worthwhile thing. But none of us, not one of us at all, consistently all the time has followed all the commands of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Jesus doesn't get into that whole debate with him about that because Jesus knows there's one thing in this guy's life that's got him hamstrung. There's one thing in this guy's life that he won't let go of that is keeping him from leaving and following let alone repeating. See, if you won't leave and follow in the first place, let's not even talk about repeating yet. Let's just talk about the initial departure and the initial decision to follow. There's one thing in this guy's life, one thing that he will not let go that is keeping him from following Jesus. Look at the interaction. Verse 22 When Jesus heard this, heard his answer, all these I've kept from my youth, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell some of what you have and distribute it to people that you think are worthy of the goods. Nope. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and and come and follow me. See, some people would look at a passage of Scripture like this, and they would get hung up and think, well, maybe I can work my way into heaven. Maybe it is good deeds after all. I mean, here Jesus says, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, period. No, that's not where the sentence ends. It's not possible To really leave the things of this world and to really leave a former lifestyle, to really leave a sinful pattern, a sinful behavior, unless it is replaced with a new following. You have to follow Jesus. Look what he says, and come and follow me. It's not either or, it's both. A disciple's real following of Jesus Christ is demonstrated by leaving selfishness, leaving the direction that you were going in your life, leaving the pattern of the world, leaving that mentality that puts you at the center of judge, jury, judging your own life and realizing that God already has judged your life. He's already judged my life through what Jesus did on the cross. And I fall short, you fall short, we all fall short. We miss the bullseye that God says we must hit. In order to make it into heaven. And that's why Jesus really had to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and mine and everybody's. And it's not either or. It's not that you can be a philanthropist and give away all of your money, give away all of your possessions, and that's going to guarantee you an eternal inheritance. You have to also, the motivation of doing that has to be because you're following Jesus Christ. There are many people who are trying to work themselves into heaven by giving away things, even valuable things, but they're not willing to do the second part, leave, follow. See, the reason why you would become a philanthropist, the reason why you'd use God's money that he's entrusted into your hands to build God's kingdom, the reason why you would do that is because that's what a follower of Jesus Christ does. That's what a follower of Jesus Christ does. A follower of Jesus Christ takes all the resources that God has given them and follows Jesus in such a way that they realize that all of the resources, everything that you have, the gift of time that God has given you, the gift of money that God has given you, the gift of resources that God has given you, All of that has been given to you for one purpose and one purpose alone. Yes, God wants you to enjoy them. But that one purpose is wrapped up in following Jesus, using everything that God has given you. Everything. To really follow Jesus with everything that you have. You see, there's no such thing as partial obedience. There's no such thing as almost surrendering to God. This one thing is what was hanging up this rich ruler. One thing, one area of his life that he was not willing to give to God, he went away very sad, very sad. And Jesus uses this analogy. It's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than for a camel to get in through the eye of a needle. Now, you might have heard this talked about at some particular point that in the Middle East, in the walls that were there, there are sometimes there are these big doorways that somebody could walk through and other times a smaller doorway that the camel could kneel down and get through with all of the bags on top of the camel's back. And that was used at times for transporting goods in through that city wall or in through that wall of that house or the wall of the compound. It was called the eye of the needle. And the camel could get down on all fours and squeeze through that thing. It was a difficult endeavor. But with some effort, and some diligence, the camel could squeeze through that door, the eye of the needle, and get into the compound or the house or wherever it was that he needed to go while protecting other people from coming in and out of the door. It's been called the eye of the needle. And it sounds really good, doesn't it? Some of you have probably heard that. The only thing is it's not true. You can't believe everything you're reading about from bloggers. You can't believe everything. that just sounds like it's really spiritual and sounds really significant. The eye of the needle is the eye on a sewing needle. That's what Jesus is referring to. How hard do you think it is to get a camel through the eye of that needle? Pretty much impossible. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home for you and for me. You cannot save yourself. And that's why the people say, well, who then can be saved? And that's why Jesus answered. With man, it's impossible. It's only possible with God. Salvation is a supernatural gift that God gives you an undeserved favor, not something that you earn, not something through your philanthropic efforts. God says, you've done enough, you've given enough, and now I'm going to save you. It is not possible to give to the point of getting yourself into the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that can hang up a rich person is not just the money, but the love of money. It's not just the money. It's the love of money. Now, if you have clean drinking water and a roof over your head, you're among the minority of people on God's green earth. If you have clean drinking water and a roof over your head, you have, I have, more than what most people have on most of this planet. And the question becomes one of relativity You might make $30,000 a year, you might make $60,000, you might make $90,000, you might make $200,000, you might make $5 million. You can be a person who struggles with a right attitude toward money. You see, if you're not careful, you will buy into the money masquerade. The money masquerade that you're the captain of your own ship and it's your money anyway and you can do whatever you want with well, what you can God's given you an opportunity to worship with him for however long he's given you the money but you can be a person who makes $30,000 or less a year and be more covetous and more greedy than somebody who makes 5 million rich is relative But before we start thinking that God's got something against rich people, He doesn't, let's look at Matthew chapter 27 for for a moment, will we? Shall we? Let's look at Matthew chapter 27, because this is not an indictment against having money. This is not a statement against having money. It's not that Jesus is against money or that the Bible is against money. Look with me. God has used people with money. God has used people with wealth in great and significant, memorable ways. And here's one of the examples. In Matthew 27, 57, it says this, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. This is a tremendously significant, important passage where we've got a very rich person, Joseph of Arimathea, who makes it into the record of Scripture because he was selfless when he could have been selfish. He was generous when he could have been greedy. It was his own tomb. that would have cost a lot of money. In fact, it says that the place where Jesus was buried and a garden tomb, a garden tomb would have had a wine cistern with at least 10,000 gallons capacity that you would have put wine into, would have had a water cistern in addition to that, at least 10,000 gallons or so. So there's a lot of wealth wrapped up in that garden tomb. There's a lot of giving selflessly that's involved here. And here we see a perfect example of a very rich person using the blessings of God to bless somebody else, namely Jesus Christ. And it's no different in your life and in mine. You have to settle this issue, this one thing. Has God given you money to use on yourself primarily? Yes, it's good to take care of your family. In fact, the scripture says elsewhere, if a man does not provide for the needs of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. It's good to provide for your family. But what Jesus is talking about here is to expand the borders in your understanding of who is in your family. Who is in your family? The rich guy had a very internally focused perspective about who was a member of his family. You see, when Jesus talks about nobody who gives up everything for me and for the sake of the kingdom will not in this current life receive mothers and brothers and houses material blessings, what he's talking about is the blessings that come by giving to other people who are not necessarily related to you by blood. They become your mother and your brother and your sister and your family, the poor people. See, many of us have forgotten that we are to leave and to follow and repeat. We leave the pattern of life and living and lifestyle that we were well entrenched in. To different degrees, each of us has a different story. Some of us, it seems more dark than others, but in God's sight, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Level playing field. We're all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, and without the supernatural work of God, we don't experience salvation, the miracle that it is. We're to leave the direction that we were going, leave the pattern of the world, leave the selfish way of living, leave a life that pursued sin and pleasure and self-satisfaction, and we are to follow Jesus, which is a life of selflessness, a life that prioritizes the building up of the kingdom of God. And then we are to repeat that again and again. And I love that Peter is the one who says, Lord, what are you talking about? We've left everything, and Jesus has to comfort him and remind him I know that you've left everything, and I'm going to provide for you. You see, that's the way it works. If you're about God's business, God will take care of your business. If you make it the priority of your life to be about God's business, God will take care of your business. He does it every single time. Beware of the money masquerade. It presents itself as this cure-all to all the problems. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. The real question is, how much money is dangerous? See, money becomes dangerous when we begin to see it as the answer to all life's problems, when we begin to see it as a tool to feed my mouth, to provide more material goods for myself, which I can't take with me once I breathe my last breath, neither can you. Nobody's ever taken it with them. The Egyptians had tombs sealed up with all types of goods. The Chinese, all of all types of things that they thought that they the leaders could take with them into the next life, only to find out the hard way, it's appointed for man to die once, as the book of Hebrews says, and after that to face judgment. You cannot take it with you. The only thing you can take with you is the eternal treasure that a selfless life of following Jesus Christ accumulates. And that's done when you build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. So God does have a place for money. We see that in Joseph of Arimathea's life. We see that in multiple instances of scripture, but we see a tremendous problem arising for people when they they begin to pursue money and stop following Jesus. Look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 of potent passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, here's the way we ought to live. Now, there's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing keeps us from going around life being embarrassed and embarrassing each other. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Look at the descriptive words. Just when we think the apostle's done, he drives another nail in the coffin. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at the significance of what's being said here. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, what craving? Through a craving of wanting more and more and more, the craving for money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's not money that is evil. It's not having money that is evil. Some of us who have been given a lot of money need to walk away from the guilt that we the false sense of guilt, Because you have a lot of money. Glory to Almighty God that he's given you that money. He's given you that money the same way he's given somebody who's got far less money to use in building up the only kingdom. And that lifestyle comes as a result of leaving and following and repeating It's that decision that must be continually revisited. All that I have belongs to God. All that I am is because of God. Every dime, every breath, every moment that I have comes as a gift from God, and now I worship Him with my lifestyle giving him back all that he's given me. And that's where your joy is. That's where your satisfaction is. It's not money that is evil. It is the craving of money because Jesus puts it right in Luke chapter 16. Look with me. At Luke chapter 16, how Jesus speaks about this issue very clearly. Luke sixteen thirteen. no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. Paul says it. We just looked at it. Many people who have desired to serve money instead of God, money instead of God, have pierced themselves with many woes. They've turned their back on the faith. And what is faith if it's not following Isn't that what it means to have faith? To leave, to follow, and repeat. It's so simple, even a child can understand it. The way we get into the kingdom of God is by leaving all things for this rich ruler. He needed a selfless attitude adjustment. He was a victim of what we would call spiritual amnesia. You know, things happen in the course of your life. They happen in my life. Life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. You're going about doing your own thing, and then something happens in the course of your marriage that you didn't expect, and it hits you hard, drives you to your knees. Something happens in the course of your business and your finances, and it hits you hard, drives you to your knees. Relationally, there are all types of expectations that we have that just didn't pan out, people that we wanted to be close to that we didn't get to be close to, relationships that we perceived to be a certain way that ended up being quite different than what we thought they would be, what we hoped that they would be. And you find yourself in this time of life, in this season of life, you didn't imagine that you would be here where you are right now. In this journey of life that you envisioned for yourself years ago, life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. There are things that happen that hit us hard. They hit us over the head. In the natural world, we get something called amnesia. In the spiritual realm, these things have a tendency to cause us to have spiritual amnesia where we forget the goodness of God. We forget the reality that we are to leave, to follow, and repeat we forget the reality of where we're headed, an eternal home, an eternal destiny. We forget the reality that if we are busy with God's business, He will take care of our business. That's spiritual amnesia. And the cure is the repetition. To leave what you and I, I hate myself at times. Can I say that? Because it's true. I hate that there are still thoughts that go through my mind that demonstrate how I need God every hour, how I need him moment by moment. There are thoughts that come into my mind that I just say, gee whiz, after how many decades of knowing Jesus, why is it that I still have myself deceived? Fill in the blank. Leave. Follow, repeat. Leave, follow, repeat. That's the mark of a disciple. You leave the world. You leave yourself behind. It's in the rear view mirror. And as we continue to follow what you were, it gets further and further in the distance, becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until one day when you see God face to face, who you were will be absolutely nothing compared to who you became when you leave when you follow, and when you repeat. Now, a passage of Scripture here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. A passage of Scripture like this, when we look at a passage like this, in Luke chapter 18, some would look at this and say, well, this is a government mandate to raise taxes and to redistribute wealth. After all, it's right here in the Bible. It's a noble thing. We have it coming out of Jesus' mouth himself. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So some would look at this, especially in today's day and age, as a government mandate for higher taxes to redistribute the wealth. Going to take it from the 1%. By the way, we probably are in the 1%. Most of us in North America, in the United States of America, much more wealthy than most of the people on the planet. So let's stop talking about the elite 1% as if we're not in it. We have clean drinking water and a nice roof over our heads. We're more wealthy than most of the people in the majority of the places on this planet. Let's stop talking about wealth as if other people are wealthy and I don't have it. You've got something to give to God. I've got something to give to God. It's you. Every single part of yourself because the disciples all in. See, those who would look at that passage of Scripture, Luke 18, and say that's a government mandate, an excuse for or a justification for taking from the wealthy and redistributing to the poor i would encourage them to read the rest of the bible like second thessalonians chapter 3 which completes the picture verse 6 It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. This is spiritual maturity, demonstrates personal responsibility. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, not a suggestion. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command... And encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. The Bible talks about widows. And orphans, That true religion is this in the book of James, to look after widows and orphans. Why would widows and orphans be singled out? Because a widow has nobody to be the breadwinner anymore. An orphan has nobody to take care of them. Somebody has to step in, and God's means of doing that is supposed to be the Christian, supposed to be the body of Christ, taking care of those who truly cannot take care of themselves. Well, this entitlement mentality, that somebody owes me something, It's not only going to ruin our country, it'll ruin your own walk with Jesus Christ. Who's responsible for your own livelihood? You are. I am. If you have the ability to work. You see, Jesus' discussion in Luke 18 is not a government mandate. It's not a discussion to a group en masse. Jesus is having a one-on-one discussion that's overheard by the others around him with one man, and that one man's attitude about wealth The one thing that was hanging him him up, the one thing that was holding him back is that he was not willing to follow God the way he should have followed God. Yes, he started off following God, make no mistake about it. For him to know the Ten Commandments and to say I've followed these ever since my youth gives us an indication that he did leave at one point consciously, cognitively, In his mind, he left the ways of the pagan world around him because he was embracing the Old Testament. He was embracing the laws of God. He did leave, but his problem was that he was not willing to mature and follow. When the Word became flesh, was right there standing in front of him. He was willing to follow the written Word of God, but not the Word of God in the flesh. And his hope and his trust was in his riches not in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are many people who have left but not followed. Oh, how we need to be careful. Need to be careful that we not only leave and follow, but that we repeat. That we receive salvation as God's free gift It's impossible with man, but only possible with God. We leave the world. We leave ourselves behind. We depart from sinful ways and sinful behavior and sinful attitudes, things that we do that we shouldn't do, things that we should do that we don't do. We get into a new course of lifestyle, a new way of living that's wrapped up, not only just in leaving, but in following the one we should follow, and then repeating. It's all about leave, follow, follow repeat. It's leave, follow, repeat. Let's say it again, leave, follow, repeat.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible teaching podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.